0: We are in uh, Proverbs chapter 27. I'm going to start with number three, partly because it's uh, exceedingly true. It uh, maintains a picture of what it's like to deal with uh, foolish people, and uh, partly because it's not the easiest. A stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but the provocation of a fool is heavier than both of them. The provocation of a fool can be applied in two directions, one or the other. The provocation, which is frustration or exasperation or anger, provocation in one direction is from the fool poured out on others by the fool. I don't know if you've dealt with a foolish person, but they can... uh, frustrate you. They can express great anger at you. They can be really exasperated with you because you're not playing according to their rules or cooperating with them or giving them what they want.
1: Um,
0: so that becomes one direction, and uh, the fool often expresses those kinds of things, that, those kinds of provocations, without any concern for who it hurts or the harm that it does. The other direction is the uh, provocation or the frustration, exasperation and maybe even anger that you feel as a result of having to deal with a fool. It uh, takes a lot of grace from God to maintain a godly attitude when dealing with a fool because they can be very frustrating, very exasperating very angering. So, how uh, are the, the two directions? Both outcomes, it doesn't matter which direction you go in, both outcomes are painful burdens. Uh, and either way, it makes life really difficult. There are uh, two uh, quotes that I'm going to use if you... Uh, had a, a good Catholic Bible, you would have this book in your Bible. But being Protestant, you probably don't. But uh, Sirach uh, chapter twenty-two, verse fifteen says, "Sand and salt and a lump of iron are a lighter burden than a dolt or a fool who acts foolishly." And in chapter same chapter, verse thirteen. Same book says, do not waste many words. Uh, Please bear with me, young people. I know we're not supposed to use this word, but uh, this particular writer does. Do not waste many words on the stupid. Do not go near a dolt. Beware of him or you will have trouble and be soiled by contact with him. Keep away from him and you will have peace of mind and not be exasperated by his folly. So just to affirm, uh, life is more difficult when you have to deal on a regular basis with someone who is perpetually foolish. Someone else from that Proverbs that chapter, chapter 27? I like number six. Wounds from a friend can be treated, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's like like with the enemy, you got to keep your friends real close and then your enemies even closer sometimes because you can't trust your
1: enemies because of the fact that they, like in this verse, they said, with kisses, multiplies kisses, it's like... It's like, yeah, with your enemy, they try to make your
0: life as visible as they can. I know what that's like. But I've learned over the years to deal with your enemy because you've got to do what God wants you to do. And I'm doing better at it than I used to. Good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a friend wounds or rebukes for who's good. The enemy gives kisses for whose good?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is good, yes. Uh,
0: a good example from the scriptures would be Judas. He gave Christ a kiss for 30 pieces of silver, right? It was for his good. It a good, good example of this particular proverb. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Someone else?
3: One of the problems is. This struck me as interesting is is the first one. It says, uh, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And the idea of boasting about tomorrow is the idea. Jesus talks about this in uh, um, the gospel where he says, um, why do you say that tomorrow we're going to go to town and we'll go and buy this and that and do this and that? He says, you don't know what's going to happen tonight. But instead, you should say, you might die tonight, but but you should say, if the Lord wills, I will live and do this or that. Because we don't have control over our lives. All we can make are plans. And to speak as if we have power over what we're going to do, what's going to happen tomorrow, is, in God's eyes, boasting or arrogance. And that kind of, you know, God sees that as sin. He sees that as a heart that's not humble for him. Or that's not, um, that. that's not recognizing the reality of our situation. And, uh, you know, he's saying, you know, because we don't know what a day may bring, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, if I say see tomorrow, that's a little bit arrogant for me to say uh, because I don't know that I'm going to live to see them tomorrow. And even if I did live, I don't know that I would be able to see them tomorrow. I know it's a type of thing that we say all the time and we try to say, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, and and these types of things that we say and do all the time. Uh, And um, according to scriptures, the Scripture and other Scriptures, Jesus, you know, God is not pleased with that mindset because it has a spirit of pride in it that's not recognizing that every day is a gift from God.
0: Now, the word boast in there, I think, is an important word just to add to what you were saying. Uh, do not boast about tomorrow don't uh, make claims that uh, you have no certainty you can actually fulfill. I think most of us say tomorrow I'm going to do this the next day I'm going to do that um, I know that within Christianity there has been a group of folks uh, sprinkled throughout who have always added if the Lord wills and that's there's that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure most people are boasting when they say, tomorrow I'm going to take a vacation or tomorrow I'm going to go to work. We're just projecting the the normal things of life. But when we boast and we say that, you know, this is something I'm going to accomplish, I'm going to get done, Yeah, that's pride. And uh, it is against God who controls our life. It is God who controls tomorrow. You have no idea what your health will be. You don't know if uh, they'll have the strength. You don't know if the resources will be there. You don't know if the circumstances will cooperate. I mean, there are so many things that can change between now and tomorrow. And uh, to make boastful promises, boastful commitments, just, yeah. Yeah, thanks. It's a good one.
4: Well, one thing in relation to that, it's it's interesting in, in earlier in Proverbs, uh, he says, "Go to the ant, you sluggard," and the ant prepares their food in the summer, right, for the for the winter time, and so that's held up as a good thing. And yet here saying, <coughs> "Don't post about tomorrow," right? And it and it doesn't seem like they're contradicting. In in one sense, it it seems like it's good that we we work, we uh, make preparations for the things ahead, and yet. We shouldn't be making preparations in the sense of though I'm ultimately the one in charge, or I can determine everything, or, or especially I think the boasting of tomorrow, of uh, boasting in terms of doing your own thing apart from God, or, uh, or in contradiction to God. Uh, like in Isaiah. There was a, a reference, uh, come, they say, I will get wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be as today, great beyond measure, right? It sounds like they weren't spending their time uh, in service to God, but more in serving themselves, and they figured we can go on doing this as long as as long as long we want, right? But we, we're not really in charge of that. And, uh, and Jesus told the story of the, uh, <coughs> the man who had... Uh, the, the farmer who had done really well, and he says, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, right? You no, know, it's just basically he's thought as himself, right? Mm-hmm. I've finally made it. I can do my do whatever I want for years to come. Uh, but God said to him, you foolish one, tonight your soul is required of you. The things which you have prepared, whose will they be? And it, it wasn't necessarily wrong, that he had, it wasn't wrong that he had done well. Uh, that was, you know, great. In fact, you could argue that it was God's blessing, but what he did with it, uh, was the, was the issue and boasting for his own self instead of saying, Hey, I have all this. What can I do with it, uh, for God's kingdom? What can I do with it? You know, maybe to, you know, help myself to get to the next, next season and maybe next season will be just as good, but. I don't need all this, and, and, but there was no thought of our concern for the poor or for those in need, which is something that God has said is very important. And so he was boasting about a tomorrow that had little or nothing to do with God and his ways uh, versus others who may prepare uh, for tomorrow but also prepare for doing, uh, doing their work unto God.
0: Yeah. I would like to add to that this idea the ant prepares for the future without proclaiming that the future is now secure the fellow who wanted to tear down his barns and build bigger barns was in essence in my understanding that scripture saying now my my future is secure I can take my ease right I, I'm 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 covered for, for years to come. I don't even have to worry about it. And just to bring it home to us in this room, we buy insurance with that same mindset. My future is now secure. We are, are in the, uh, we, we set aside, and we should set aside for retirement, or you should, um, uh, set aside for retirement, but is that your secure future? Uh, in the 80s, um Many of the folks of retirement age were getting 15-plus percent interest, and they took all of their money and put it in uh, interest-bearing bonds and, and whatever, and they were they were secure for the rest of their life until the interest Damn. rates dropped like a rock uh, into single digits. And uh, then their security was taken away from them. So to boast, in my thinking, is... Like the fellow who tore down his barns, built bigger ones, he was boasting that his security, his future was secure. That's an example of boasting about like tomorrow. It was no more secure than uh, yours or mine
1: mm-hmm.
0: It was in God's hands.
1: And I remember that story, and it didn't turn out very well for the guy at all. You no, know, he,
0: he passed away that night. Uh, he paid the price. Yeah, thanks. Someone else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let us not think that that fellow's the bad guy and we're the good people in this country. Yeah. We can definitely put in our trust and boast about our future security, savings, uh, possessions, four hundred one k. Yeah, all of those things. John, yeah. our security is in God.
2: Yeah. Maybe in uh, relation to that, verse
4: seven. A full soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. A full soul loathes the honeycomb, which seems unlikely, but uh, it's—I I think it is true. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. uh, the, uh in our country, we have a lot of uh, a lot of things. We can buy a lot of things. We have wealth. Uh, even even. The folks who are uh, not rich are very well off. Uh, And so it's easy to have a soul that's full and not find uh, the honeycomb of of God and his word and who he is and not not to to lose a desire for that or to not even have a desire for that uh, because we're not... Hungry. We don't, you know, we're not, before we have what we want, we have what we think we want anyway. Uh, in in uh, Luke, uh, Luke recorded, Jesus is saying, blessed are you who are poor, for God's kingdom is yours. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh, right? And woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry, yeah. Um, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn than me. Uh Anyway, just just the idea that you know we it's, we have to be on guard. And I, I found just in, uh, in my experience uh, on college campuses in the past, the uh, the kids who come from from a more well off home are much less likely to be open to hearing the good news of Jesus because what do they need it for, right? And and uh, Folks that uh, folks that have uh, maybe in another setting might have been more interested. Now that they are in this country and uh, doing better, doing better financially, tend to be less concerned about uh, eternal things mm-hmm. than they would have been otherwise. So
0: how many have eaten too much at the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> and when you're all done, do you want to go eat more? or do you want to lay down and sleep yeah, well, yeah you too much and in your belly, so not yeah, nothing's appealing to you after that, right? Yes, the person who is fully satisfied isn't interested in anything more um I really like seven because it points out a truth that maybe we don't often think about. You have no interest in what you do not desire or long for. Take some time and think about that. You have absolutely no interest in what you do not desire or long for. But even the worst forms of what you desire and long for will be satisfying to you if that's all you can get. A starving person would settle. If I was starving, I would eat broccoli. (laughs) I would eat cauliflower, but if I can get real food, I'm not touching that stuff. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, what you hunger and thirst for? Blessed are those, Mark uh, quoted this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. At the beginning of hungering and thirsting, you may not have a real hunger and thirst, but, you know, you have an intellect, you have the ability to make the decision to act as if you do hunger for that and chase those things. And no, it's not the most exciting thing you're you're chasing at the beginning. But one day, as your desire for those things grow, as you begin to realize how good that is, then you will hunger and thirst for it in reality. In um, the same way, think about how many things we desire and long for that we shouldn't. And that's why they're tempting to us. Because we desire, we long for them. If we can die to that, then the temptation loses its power. Someone else?
2: I also did seven, but with a little different twist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, this talks about food. Um, The Matthew Henry commentary says, The famished man eats with pleasure, digesting it and are refreshed by it, and they are more thankful. The man who has a lot to eat perhaps takes it for granted and is not so thankful. Mm. But I thought of this in a couple other areas. Um, There may be a man who has a lot of relationships, good relationships. He may take some friends for granted, or even if he doesn't take them for granted, he may not appreciate them fully. He may not do what it takes to really nurture that relationship because he's so spread out. And then there's the man, woman, lady who has barely any relationships. She strongly desires, craves a phone call or a note or a visit with someone. And, yeah, there's probably stuff they're doing that contributes to them having hardly any relationships or friends. But they still need them, just like the famished man who needs food. Anyway, I do have such a neighbor, and she fits into that category. So the question is, what am I going to do? How am I going to love her? And um, another take, there may be a person who has a godly spouse, God-fearing, loving, patient, kind, interesting, ambitious, happy, joyful, industrious, faithful. But that person might take things for granted or may not be thankful or may become bitter by something related to the relationship. And then there's the other person whose spouse isn't quite so much like that. (laughs) Then... that person, when the spouse does display one or some of those other characteristics, they are full of joy, even to the point of tears sometimes. So it's perspective. It's mm. perspective. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm.
1: who says let another praise you not your own mouth, a stranger not your own lips and you know, I thought of a few things about this one of those uh, kind of in that boastful thing of praising ourselves can be prideful and uh, God talks about being against the proud and that's not a good position to put yourself in um, I also think about um, the idea of what, what's a faithful steward and what we're expected to do and uh, in Luke, uh, Jesus was talking about, uh, uh in response, I think, talk, after talking about faith, he said, He has not thanked the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves and we have done only that which we ought to have done. So, not quite as, uh, uh, exciting or, uh, motivating as, as patting yourself on the back, but uh, I did appreciate that reminder, of that perspective of you know doing we, sh- we should be doing what what we're called to do. Um, and then um, um, the other uh, verse that came to mind that I was looking at was in Second Corinthians ten eighteen. Uh, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends and i think um, to reflect on myself i think uh, there's been times where i might uh, view what i've done through a lens i have at the time and might judge it good or not good and maybe as i grow and learn and change i have a different perspective or different view of things or different lens on things and uh, so maybe even the way i i choose to look at things or value things changes over time hopefully changes in a way that's more uh, conformed to God's image. But appreciate that verse for the reminder that it's it's not those of us who commend ourselves that's approved, but but rather who the Lord commends.
0: Self-praise is self-serving, isn't it? And uh, though we are told not to do that, think about the consequences to your own character of doing that. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about how our choices and behavior affect our character, our values, our beliefs, either reinforcing good ones or reinforcing bad ones. uh, Yeah, Yeah, thanks, that's a good one. Yes, Brother Mark has quoted that many times.
4: Mm -hmm. One thing about that that's interesting is uh, when you get a job, to get a job nowadays, you have to... uh, uh, create a resume, which is in a sense phrasing <clears throat> yourself, uh, but you're also supposed to have references, and so you would hope that uh, what you put on the resume is not phrasing yourself so much as just putting on there what your what other people would say. Yes, this is this person. Uh, we uh, in, in my in my, uh, in my company, there's been occasions where. Someone has been hired who uh, clearly was praising themselves and not <laughs> saying what other people would have said about them.
2: Yeah, I know that. It and, grows, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> it,
4: it becomes apparent within uh, you know sooner or later that this person is not who or what they claim to be. Uh, right. So uh, anyway, I just that that when I was reading the verse this week, that's one key thing that kept coming to mind is well, what about a resume? You know is that, but you know, and hopefully, when you're what you're putting on that resume is not self phrase but again, what should just be simply verified by other people.
0: Yeah, just a quick story. Many years ago, we were asked to uh, ordain a particular gentleman. So the elders worked through a, a, a process that we would apply, and. Uh, One of the things that I pushed for, which we all ended up, at least I think they agreed on, they all said yes to, uh, was that the person had to have uh, three recommendations from people that uh, knew them well, but also at least two from people that didn't like them, people that knew them but were unhappy with them so that we were more certain to get a balanced perspective on the individual uh, rather than only hearing good, because even recommendations can be uh, uh, weighted in the more positive direction
1: and fail to uh, give the truth.
0: Yeah, thanks. Someone else? Someone else.
2: I like verse nineteen. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Um, And the idea that um, we can, again, talking about ourselves, we can say a lot of things about ourselves. We can even believe a lot of things about ourselves. We can we can say that we have values of certain things, or that this is really important to us. But the test is how are we behaving? How are we living? How is our actions showing forth or either supporting or showing forth what truly is in our heart it is how we live, how we behave, how we walk. Um, so I like the comparison as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart.
0: Yeah, you have to be willing to look inward though, don't you? <laughs> you know, to see what you really believe. However, as I've tried to at least present to you, if not tried to convince you, if you want to find out what you believe, what you value, look at your choices and behavior, because that will tell you.
1: Someone else?
3: One the other verses that I like is very... It stuck out to me is the, is the verse 4, which it says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I remember one time I was talking to a psychologist and he said that the thing that he deals with that's the most difficult uh, thing is jealousy, because there's nothing you can do to help counsel a person who is consumed by jealousy. Because it's irrational. They just want what someone else has. And it's not about some healing they need in their heart. It's about they just want what someone else has. It's like pure evil. Um, and how dangerous this is in our hearts that we really need to be very weary of. Because it's extremely destructive.
0: Yeah. Okay, so scripture says that God is jealous. What do you do with that?
3: Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that it's a different type of jealousy. <laughs> I think that's the, one of the feelings of the English language. And that is, is that there is a concept of jealousy. That's, I am angry at this person because they have something that I don't have. And then there is, I want you to treat me that I'm treating the way that I'm treating you. I want for there to be justice in, the, in our relationship where I'm showing great love and taking great steps to to show kindness to you. And I want you to at least acknowledge that. I'm, I'm not doing great things for you. I think that's a different type of jealousy. I don't want you going after someone else instead of bothering
0: me. Sure. So since you brought this up and I was doing that to set you up, uh, Exodus 20, verse 5, you want to take that? Sure. Somebody take Zechariah 8, 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Zechariah, who will do that? All right, Allison? And uh, James chapter 4, verse 5. Somebody take that one? All right, Sherry. Um, I would I, I put it this way: there's uh, healthy and unhealthy, godly and ungodly jealousy, because the Scripture does say that God is jealous, and we have to deal with that. Sure. Um, so there's a jealousy that is reasonable. There's a jealousy that's unreasonable, and the reasonable God kind of jealousy is a response to someone interfering with or competing with or getting in between you and the person that you love, that you have affection for, that you're committed to, who is committed to you. And when somebody gets in the middle, in between, and starts to tamper with that relationship, that brings out a jealousy, and it's a good kind. It's a proper kind of jealousy. It's the kind that God has because he was jealous, as we will see, Exodus 25,
3: you shall not bow down to these other gods or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing his children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me.
0: So he didn't want the idol worship it's to get between himself and his children, the people that he loved, because that would interfere, that would compete with the relationship and do damage to it. Okay, Zechariah two, Allison?
2: This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her.
0: Yes, and that's all because of the idol worship. And then uh, James chapter 4, verse 5. Who had that one? Oh, Sherry.
2: Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us.
0: So when we become believers, we have this... Holy Spirit and our own spirit that dwell within us, and these belong to God. These are to be in relationship with God, and he jealously desires that this relationship would be as faithful and whole as a relationship between a husband and wife is supposed to be. Yeah, that kind of jealousy. Uh, someone look up Proverbs 6, verses 34 and 35. So I'll tell you, okay, you got it? Proverbs six thirty four and thirty five. This kind of goes along with uh, verse four and verse in chapter twenty seven.
2: For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse a bribe, however great it is.
1: Yeah,
0: nothing will satisfy. Yeah. All right. Someone else. Thanks. All right, number five. Let's take a look at number five. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Yeah, like, who wrote those words, right? The point is, is that it's better to be openly, honestly, clearly, so there's no misunderstanding, clearly reproved and admonished by a loved one, fellow believer, about a friend or a boss, or even an enemy, it's better to be told clearly what you're doing wrong than to be loved by someone who will not honestly confront you about your bad, unloving, deceptive, verbally abusive, relationship-harmful behavior.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Now, I realize that We aren't born with that uh, belief that it's better. We think it's better to be approved and accepted and for people to overlook our bad behavior, to just accept it and endure it. But that's not what it really is in our best interest. You won't stop or correct what you're not aware of. And as I've tried to convey to all of you before we made this very clear when we were going through the conflict resolution uh, weeks. If you want to know what you're really like, ask your spouse. Uh, ask your parents. Ask your friends. Ask somebody who really knows you. Uh, they can tell you if they're willing. Hopefully they are willing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But someone who loves you but won't be honest with you is not helping you at all. They're actually hurting you. And doing you more harm than good. I see the hand and we'll get there in a minute. Uh someone look up Proverbs 28, 23. We'll take that. All right, uh Kim. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 talks about we're supposed to go to a brother when he sins directly and mm-hmm. talk to him personally. That's where that should start. Somebody look up Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We'll take that. All right, Maureen? All right, uh, Proverbs twenty-eight,
2: twenty-three. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And Galatians 6, 1 and 2.
2: Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But wash yourselves, so you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law
0: of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love one another. Andrew, what's the question?
2: It was about verse five. The way I read it, it as I thought it, and better is to know that people are rebuking you so you know about that than people who are like, who love you, but are too shy to tell you so they don't want you to know.
0: Yes, the and that's it that's my understanding of it too. Just a different way to say it. Thank you. Yep. Same thing. Someone else? Anybody else?
4: I think on that
3: same one, I think that it's also, you know, it's you can see this a lot in parenting. If you, you know, the difference between the way you treat your child and another child sometimes, or um, that, you know, with your own children, you you know, because you love them, you rebuke them because you recognize that their behavior goes unchecked into life. It's going to be really bad for them. I think the same thing can be true with certain friends. You know, if you see a friend and they're, and they're talking crazy and you're like, if you really love them, you'll say, hey, buddy, we're talking kind of crazy. Yeah. Like I, I get that you think this way, but I don't think that's the way it is, you know, and, and they might hate you for saying that. They might be angry at you, but that's actually the loving thing to say in that situation. Mm
0: -hmm. How many of us thought our parents were loving us when they were correcting us?
1: (laughs) It doesn't feel (laughs) loving.
0: Okay, let's end with 21. The last one. The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, and each is tested by the praise accorded him. Uh, And what is the test? How will praise affect you? What do you do with praise? Well, prideful, conceited people and those who believe their well-being is tied to approval and acceptance, they thrive on praise and they seek it because it feeds feeds what they want and feel they need or what they fear. The insecure, those who are unsure of themselves, well, they're built up and uh, emboldened By
3: praise.
0: Those, if we take the Proverbs that we've been looking at, those who are wise and sensible, who are secure in God, don't pay much attention to praise. It's a test. I know it's nice to be praised, but it's a test. What are you going to do with praise? All right, let's pray. Father, we are blessed that you have given us your word, that you have preserved it down through the centuries, that we have the means to have it in our own hands. Such ready, easy access. And yet, Father, that makes us all the more accountable Speak to us through your word. Help us to find a healthy level of fear and hope. Fear that we don't take the word seriously and hope that when we do, it will actually affect us the way it's intended to. And lead us in your way.
1: I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.